Music, news, entertainment. It's all right here. This is The Kelly Alexander Show. Hey, it's Kelly, and thank you for joining us on the show. This week, we welcome Canadian Juno Award-winning singer and songwriter, Anjali. We also speak to our music editor, Sharon Highland, about a new hologram tour planned for Amy Winehouse. We chat with Toronto alt-indie artist, Jules, and we've got new music for you from Michael Buble, Maggie Rogers, and John Legend. But first up is Anjali, who not only records great music for herself, but also writes for other artists like Nicki Minaj, Icona Pop, and Kelly Clarkson. Anjali has just released her new song, Where the Love Goes. Anjali, welcome to The Kelly Alexander Show. Thank you. Thanks for having me and for that awesome intro. I always try to have a, a proper intro because I want people to understand that I appreciate how important you guys are. I know you guys do a lot of work. And um, I did want to take my audience back just a sec and sort of ask you how early you got involved in music and sort of knowing that it would be a career for you. Um, well, my first song I wrote when I was in high school, I actually produced it on GarageBand, which is like a a rinky-dink version of Logic, which is what a lot of producers use, Logic and Ableton. And I, I had the song called Don't Call Me Angie, because this guy that I used to date, he, he would call me Angie after we broke up, and I was like, don't call me Angie anymore. And I sent it to um, John Levine, who was a producer and worked with this manager named Chris Smith, who has like Alicia Carey and Nella Furtado and Fifi Austin and all these amazing artists. And he heard it, and he was like, oh, wow, this is really dope, and he gave it to his artist her name's Krisha Turner and she had like I think it was like a top 10 radio hit so pretty early on I had validation that I could write songs and I had you know I could produce songs and that was kind of my first start into the industry. Now in doing research I read something and I would like you to either confirm or deny that it's true I read that you were sort of heavily influenced by Janet Jackson's Velvet Rope is that true? Yes I love Janet Jackson she's such a boss Okay, good, because you and I now both have something else in common, because she's my girl. A lot of my interviews that I do on the show relate to Janet Jackson, so my fans are going to be very excited uh, to know that you uh, were influenced by, by Janet. So is Velvet Rope the first one for you, or were you listening to her before that? Velvet Rope was the one for me. Like, I was just, I don't know, like the way that she was using her vocals and the way the production was, and her, she has this sort of sensuality to her voice that was really influential um, for me as a singer and kind of developing my own sound. Her and Aaliyah and Sade, I would say, were like three of the people vocally who really influenced me. And do you have a particular Janet song that always sticks out to you, like no matter what? Because everybody seems to have like a favorite Janet song. I mean, I still know the dance to I Get Lonely. Like, I can still, like, do it uh, beat for beat. Um, and I love it. I think it's, like, just one of her most epic songs. But I also love the, uh, what was the song that she wrote about? Together Again? Would, yes, that one. Yeah, I love Together Again. Okay. What, what's yours? Um, actually, it's funny that you mentioned I Get Lonely because that is probably my favorite song off that album. And my favorite song I, overall, I will always say, is Escapade because that's the song that really brought me to her. So I will always say Escapade. But I Get Lonely, very good. Yeah, it's amazing. So now I want to ask you, because um, I'd read this as, as well, did you sort of teach yourself to play piano? Yeah, I kind of taught myself both instruments. I did, like, I had taken lessons, but... Um, most of the learning was just listening to songs that I loved and trying to lift them and figure them out for myself. Now, talk to us a little bit about how you go about writing songs, because the fact that you had success early on with Chris Turner, who I love, and I love that song that you wrote, like, do you have a specific way that you write? Does it always change? You know, how does it work for you? It's constantly changing and evolving, I will say. Like, 
sometimes I'll collaborate with a producer on the other side of the world and we'll just send, like, I'll send a vocal note and I'll be like, oh, I have this idea. Um, and then I'll, I'll send that over to them and then they'll send a little bit of a drum beat and then I'll add some, like, piano and then they'll add something else. And it can happen that way. It can also happen where, like, with Where the Love Goes, I had that concept. I really loved the book Where the Wild Things Are. Mm-hmm. And I love... Um, the kind of open-ended concept of the where titles and the why titles. So I had that concept and it was really about like just kind of where society has gone and how we're bombarded with hate and negativity all the time. But in actuality, like there has never been less poverty in, in the history of mankind. There's never been less violence. There's never been less war. There's never been less famine. And we're, even though those things are true, we're just, it's like an, it's like a rush of, of <laughs> negative um, thoughts and comments and everything that, that at least I see on my feed. So I wanted to kind of have an antithesis of that in, in my music and kind of make people feel good and question, like, where does the love go? Like, why are we so obsessed with this negative kind of perpetuating culture? Did the song come out fairly easy for you? Like the, the latest single, Where the Love Goes? Like, did it, did it sort of just pour out? Yeah, I wrote it with... Um, my really incredibly talented friend Kyle P and Fran and we were just in a studio together and we I just kind of started singing that melody the the lyric a natural melody over top of it and we all kind of fleshed out the rest of it and yeah it happened pretty quickly it happened in like a few hours I'd say Okay, cool. Now, uh, last time we spoke, I believe you were mainly still in Canada, but now are you splitting your time back and forth between the states? Yes, I go back and forth from LA to Toronto mostly. Okay. And do you find, because see, I was interviewing someone recently, and I I think I also read an article, and I'm going to sort of paraphrase loosely because I don't have the exact quote, but I remember um, it was Ryan Tedder of One Republic, obviously an amazing songwriter. He said something to the effect of, you know, Los Angeles is a hot spot, Atlanta is a hot spot, and Toronto is now a hot spot for producing music. So do you find that, especially because you are in two out of those three cities? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I've only I've only lived in New York, L.A. and Toronto, so I'm a bit of a, um, a spoiled brat that way, um, just in terms of everything, music, food, culture. They're, they're incredible cities to live in. But, yeah, as of late, Toronto has obviously put itself on the map on a global platform. So it's pretty exciting to come to come back there and, and just dive into creatives that are coming out of Toronto. I also develop and work with a lot of new up-and-coming artists. So it's a great um, breeding ground to find new talent. Joining us on the Kelly Alexander Show, Juno Award-winning artist Anjali. Make sure you follow her on her social media, at Anjali Music. Talk to us about the fact that you are a Juno Award winner. Like, how does that feel, being introduced that way? Um, It's really cool, actually. Like, I remember seeing the Junos when I was really little and just dreaming of being a musician and and, um, to be there and have performed there. And I think I was nominated the first year and then I won the second year. So yeah, it's it's all amazing. It's, It's great to be on a platform with like, you know, Canadian talent, which is just running the world at the moment. Yeah, I wanted your opinion on that because obviously in the last several years, we have the big ones, of course, the Drakes of the world, the Justin Biebers of the world. But now, for example, you know, Alessia Cara is doing amazing things and now she is broken big in the States uh, as well as, you know, all around the world. And then the list goes on, even with talented Canadians who may not have uh, sort of done big things yet in other places, but like we've got the Rhea Mays of the world and the Tyler Shaws of the world. And, um, you know, the list goes on. How do you feel about Canadian music now and the ones that are particularly growing their brand here? 
I love it. I think it's an incredible um, thing that's happening. And I think it's kind of indicative to what's going on politically, to tell you the truth. Like, when a country nurtures and supports its artists and its own talent, you really do reap the benefits of that. And it comes back into the Canadian economy, you know. So I think it's um, I think it's really important to support the arts. You see it popping up also in Sweden and Amsterdam, other countries that have really lit up musically. Um, and the States, in terms of developing independent artists and supporting them, it really hasn't had that many breakthroughs, you know. It's, it's just, it's not a, a country that really supports its own um, artists. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful to be from Canada, and I, I do think um, we'll see more and more and more of that as, as it goes on. And I know you mentioned Rhea May, who I, I also really love, and um, I'm actually probably going to collaborate with her either on my record or her record, too. Fantastic. You've just made my day, so thank you for that. Um, I did want to, uh, to talk to you as well about... I think the last time you and I chatted, I mentioned something to the fact, this was several years ago, but I had mentioned something about how at the time we talked about you being a songwriter. Again, I think at that point we had talked about um, your work with Krisha Turner and so on, and then you being an artist. Do you have a favorite? And I, I don't think it's been, a, or it's been a minute since you've put out like new music. So were you craving to come back with new music as an artist? Well, I, the, the reason I wasn't putting out music for myself was because I was stuck on a major label. And I wasn't able to get off of it, and the only, and they shelved my record. So the only way I was actually able to engage the market was through other artists and releasing through other artists. So that's why there was a little bit of a um, disconnect there. Um, and then when I left Republic uh, in the past two years, I've literally been releasing a song every single month. And it's been uh, really great to collaborate with people because that's how I was able to kind of really get out of a, a pretty bad depression um, from just being held on a, a label that wouldn't let me release my own music. So, yeah, I do I have a favorite? Um, I, I don't think so. I've written for some incredible artists from, from like, yeah, Nicki Minaj to Kelly Clarkson to Gaga to Diplo to Zed. Like, it, it, it's kind of an honor to be in those rooms, and it's I'm I kind of I'm constantly pinching myself when I'm working with the people that I'm working with because I think they're all so much more talented than me. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's hard to pick a favorite for sure. I was uh, stalking you on Twitter and saw that you have been supporting the the situation that's been going on. I know down in the U.S. with the Music Modernization Act, and I know that you retweeted Ross Golan, who I know is the the podcast host of uh, and the writer is, and of course he's his own songwriter as well. So can you explain for my audience um, a little bit about what this Music Modernization Act is about and why you're supporting it? Well, in a nutshell, for the layman, because it gets pretty technical and pretty boring, but um, there's been a grave injustice done to songwriters in the past, I'd say ever since streaming came along. And it's basically the way that the, the finances trickle down from when you get, when you have 100% of the master and the DSPs collecting that, which is the Spotify's of the world and the Apple Music's of the world. And then them distributing that to the master owner, who is the label, and the publishing company making very little off of the percentage of that pie. And as a result, the songwriter makes almost nothing. I mean, I think there are pretty insane examples of it. And you actually see that manifest because the reason why our favorite producers and our favorite songwriters, i.e. Julia Michaels and Sia and even like the Cashmere's and the Zeds of the world that are producers really turned artists is because 
you're not making any money when you're behind the scenes anymore. It used to be, that used to be the backup plan. You know, like when I was coming into music, I was like, oh, I can write songs. Like that's what I'm going to do when I'm 50. But that's not really the model anymore. The model is owning your masters. So all of these artists and songwriters um, who were probably shy and didn't really want to be at the forefront. I mean, I would have been more than happy to just have written songs and made a living that way. But you're, you're, unable to you really have to own your own masters and the only way to do that is to either be producing a lot of records which is predominantly done by men in the music industry or you become an artist so that's why i think you're seeing a massive shift right now the music modernization act is the first step into getting a little bit more of that piece of the pie for songwriters which is a win but it's not it's not a big enough win you know like we still need to fight for getting what we really deserve because, you know, I, for that Nicki Minaj song, I had, I think it was like 100 million streams on YouTube for the song. And I didn't even make that much money. Like, oh, wow. Barely any. Yeah, compared I think to what would have been like 10 years ago. Yeah, I think um, I listened to Ross on his podcast talk about his song with Flo Rida or whatever that he did. And he didn't, he, I think he mentioned something about he made 60K and that was it. So, uh, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming that there'll be more coming in maybe, but it sounded like initially that was, that was it. So that's not, you know. I mean, it's great if you were pumping out six of those every year, but not everybody is, right? So, yeah, and and in comparison, you know, the the person who produced that song probably made about five million dollars. You know, so right. it's really a, a very small percentage of what the master owners are getting. Now, before I let you go, I did want to ask you what we can expect from you in the next like three to six months. Like, obviously, new, more music. Are we getting an album? Are we getting a tour? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to release an album in two parts, and the first part drops in 2000, the beginning of 2019, and the second part drops in the summer. So, But I'm constantly releasing music. I just released a song called Hold Me Down, which I did with a new producer that Diplo just signed named Arye, who's incredibly talented. And uh, yeah, I'm just constantly collaborating with really dope people. Well, congratulations. I'm so happy that you're still doing your thing and continuing to put out great music. And I know your fans are behind you 100%. And so you're welcome back on the show anytime. So thank you for this. Thanks so much. And thanks for supporting the record. Of course. That's Juno Award-winning artist, Anjali. Make sure to follow her on her social media, at Anjali Music. So time now to bring in our music editor, Sharon Highland. This week, we are chatting about some news that there is a plan in place for a hologram tour of Amy Winehouse to happen in 2019. So Sharon, word has actually uh, come out that this tour is going to feature a lifelike hologram of Amy backed by an actual live band with live background singers where fans will get to hear Amy's original vocals. Now, before I ask you the first question, I'm also going to add uh, that Amy's dad, Mitch, uh, is completely on board with the project, saying in a statement, quote, it means everything that her legacy will continue, end quote. So, uh, first of all, are you down with hologram acts of deceased artists? Uh, obviously, we've been down this path before with um, Michael Jackson in 2014 at the Billboard Music Awards, and then back in 2012, uh, Tupac was on stage at Coachella. I think it's hologram. weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you could see my face, it would be uh, like it's a little un unsettling. I appreciate technology, mm -hmm. and I think it's you know, it's everything that you said it will do, it will do. Mm -hmm. My first instinct is it's weird, right? Because they're dead, right? Um, but if it's a way to celebrate the music in a a, a, a new technological keep the spirit going kind of way, I'm looking for positives. And her, you know what? Her music is is 
perfect. Mm-hmm. She's such a strong vote, or she was st- such a strong vocalist. Yeah. That um, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Mm-hmm. Well, I yeah. How do I feel about it? It's weird because like when I saw the Michael Jackson thing. There was the part of me that was like, oh, this is cool. Like, it's cool to see that they can actually mimic his dance moves and it's crazy that they can do that. Mm-hmm. But then I was kind of like, also, like you said, it's weird. And what he's if, not like, there. What if there's a mistake in a dance step? Or, right. Sorry, I'm choking. I have a cold. Uh, what if there's a, a misstep or a miss something that mm-hmm. alters like the what the truth was? Right. Then is it just like a... A freak um, show, yeah, like and a I, puppet show almost. Yeah, I, 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 it's weird. You know how sometimes that you can you can say to yourself, uh, if you look at things from either side of the road, whatever you want to call it, or, or perspective. So I think if I was going to the show, knowing that I'm saying to myself, I just want to experience what they've created in this new way, like with this yeah. new technology, then I'd be like, okay, it's cool, like mm-hmm. it's cool. But if I was like, oh, I'm gonna go see Amy Winehouse for two hours, like. It's yeah, creepy. then it's odd. It's odd and it's it's like unsettling. And after a while, you you must zone in and out of uh, like altered states of reality. You yeah. know, like you're sort of wowed by it because it's in a romantic kind of way because it's like, oh, they're back and mm-hmm. oh, it's the music and oh. But then you're staring at it after a while and it sort of just becomes like computer generated or what have yeah. you. Um, and then what? Like it's, it's probably quite an emotional experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I guess it would be... Because, you know, when we watched um, the Michael Jackson thing on TV, I kept wondering how much of it was, like, specially affected for TV. Like, what were people really seeing in the audience? Did, like, they need 3D glasses? Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it, I wonder how it is in real life to actually... Because on TV, you can kind of... Like, when I was watching the Michael Jackson thing, I was like, it was kind of like suspended reality in a way. It was just yeah. like, yeah, it's, you know, whatever. Because I wasn't there pretending that it was him. Right. And so... Yeah, it's odd. And like as we speak, you know, this is clearly turning into a thing because there's a Roy Orbison tour that's going on as we speak. Wow. And um yeah, I mean, and he passed away in 1988. So yeah. so I just and I guess there's a part of me that's wondering how far they will push this cuz it, it this company, I forget what they're called, I think it's Base or something, it stands for something. Uh but you know, these are the ones that were behind MJ, were behind the Tupac thing, now they're doing the Roy Orbison thing and I'm like how many more are they going to do? Like, is is Kurt Cobain next? Like, I wonder what's... how they pick them, too. Like, yeah. is it because it's 30 years since Roy Orbison died? Well, and, and here's where I'm wondering what your thoughts are. W- with specifically Roy Orbison. And, um, like, do you think it's, like, some weird cash grab from the estate? You know? You can't not ask that question. Right. You know? Yeah, I'm meaning, I suppose you have to ask that question. Yeah. You have to wonder. Um, it, I don't know. Because he's been gone for a long time, and yeah. I mean, the people that were probably listening him to most are the most are probably also starting to perish. You know what I mean? Well, that's maybe the plus side is that their vision's going, and they'll yeah. be, they'll be even <laughs> more wowed by the technology. Because I'm just it's wonder- him, yeah. And I'm just wondering if the if the estate's like this is one of our last kicks at the can to make this something. Now, I think too with the Amy Winehouse thing, I think they're donating proceeds. To, to a charity in her name or something like that. So that's that's fine. I don't know if it, I'm sure they're covering their costs and then whatever. But I I just, I don't know. Like, it seems, and I, I hate feeling this way, but it seems like with all the things that we know about life, mm-hmm. that it could be slightly seedy. Yeah. You know? But it's, maybe it's just because we're in that midsection of, uh, of technology. I mean, you're a little bit younger than I am, but... Nine years. <laughs> It's a little bit, like I said, a little bit younger. <laughs> um, but like we've grown with technology mm-hmm. and the changes and stuff like that. But um, 
maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just a new way to celebrate. Like it's, oh, maybe. It's not, yeah. it's not going away, obviously. If yeah, they've gone and, and tapped into the Roy Orbison vibe, then... If you were looking at it from a fun, cool way, this is a cool hologram experience, who would you want to see? I, I, my knee-jerk reaction? I wouldn't. Okay. Yeah, like, I don't think... Because you know how we both feel about George Michael. Like, I don't know that I could yeah. see that. No. Like, I would be like... He hey, and let's face it. Uh, in they the, would never let it. They would never let it yeah. happen <laughs> yeah. if, if they're not even letting people pay tribute to him in a concert right. like that. So right. They're not going to let <laughs> any sort of hologram... Action make the uh, make the calls. Probably not. I just wonder who would be next because it was actually kind of shocking when I was like, "Oh, Roy Orbison!" Like I would have never thought in a million years. Well, sadly, there's no shortage of people that they can choose from. Yeah. And I was uh, interesting. I was driving back from uh, from Ottawa yesterday, and I I heard Natalie Cole and uh, oh. Nat King Cole, and that must have been the first, wasn't it, of uh, someone right back si- in 1991? Yeah, yeah, around there. But it was so beautifully done, and it was mm-hmm. such a it seemed like such a, a purely intended mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. that she got to sing with her father. Mm-hmm. And it was a beautiful song, and it was just everything. At that time, we were wowed by the, uh, the video, the yeah. technology, the production, how they could you know, make the past work with the present. <laughs> and clearly, mm-hmm. this many years later, they have to next level it and make it seem so. like the person is actually there. But do you think we were like, more receptive to it because it was her dad? Like, and it was, I don't know, because, like... Well, it was a classic song, too. Right, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, it's weird. Because, like, I recently, and I probably would need to listen to it again, but, you know, I, I didn't really dig the Drake thing with Michael Jackson. Like, I think he just released that as a single off his Scorpion album. And then I I did like the song that JT did with MJ, but I, I felt like, obviously, MJ's part was missing, because I think they were missing it. I think they were missing sections of the song, so yeah. Justin had to do more of the vocals, and it was more of, like, just this repetitive... Mm-hmm. whatever but I guess because I like the beat and the like the melody of the song like I got sucked into it because I have like all the remixes of course <laughs> of course you do of course I do there was no Thunderpuss remix though it's a shame <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways okay so uh, Sharon Highland thank you so much it's a pleasure uh, that is our music editor Miss Sharon Highland and of course you can uh, listen to the podcast that both Sharon and I host called 90s Now where we give you a bit of the now with the 90s it's so much fun I can't even tell you so make sure you find us <laughs> if anybody can tell you she can tell you <laughs> exactly uh, 90snow.com is where you go for it or uh, you can find us on iTunes Stitcher and Google Play The Kelly Alexander Show bringing you fresh sounds like this Here's some new music that I totally think you should check out this week. First up is Michael Bublé. He's back with a brand new single called Love You Anymore off his upcoming new album, Love. Now, Charlie Puth actually wrote the song, and when Michael heard it, he said he knew right away that he needed to record it and put it on his new album. Michael's new album drops on November 16th, and he's also going to be on an upcoming edition of Carpool Karaoke with James Corden. New artist Maggie Rogers caught the eye of artist Pharrell Williams, and she's been off to the races ever since. One of her debut songs picked up over 10 million views on YouTube, and she has just dropped her new single called Light On, which is a very catchy mixture of dance pop with some folk roots. Now, Maggie is going to be on tour opening for Mumford & Sons, and her debut album, Heard It in a Past Life, will drop on January 18th. And do not forget, she is going to be the musical guest on Saturday Night Live on November 3rd. 
all will be together if the fates allow. Newly anointed EGOT winner and multi-platinum singer-songwriter John Legend has announced his first ever Christmas album, which is called A Legendary Christmas. As you can hear for yourself, he's released the first song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, featuring Grammy Award-winning jazz artist Esperanza Spaulding. Now, John's Christmas album will drop on October 26th, and he's announced a 25-date tour to celebrate, and that tour kicks off November 15th in Clearwater, Florida, and ends on December 30th in San Diego. New music on The Kelly Alexander Show. Joining us now on The Kelly Alexander Show is Toronto alt-indie artist Jules, who has an amazing song out called Before You Picked Her, which has already grabbed up over 250,000 streams. Jules, thank you so much for spending time with us on the show. Hey, uh, thank you for having me. So I'm so glad I found you because the moment I heard your song, I became obsessed and I was like, I got to find this girl and get get her on the show. So I think the song is fantastic. So we're going to start there just because I want to know, like, did you have that song in your head for a while? Did you have ideas and flesh it out? Like, how did that song come about? It was funny because... Uh, leading up to like the album, like creating it, I like was just always writing, always creating ideas, and I was just literally sitting in my like, my basement like studio thingy, and I was just writing some stuff, and I literally started just singing the chorus. So I started singing it, and like that was a major idea, and I brought it to Hill, and we created it, and it's just all about like how sometimes whoever you pick is not always better than what you had. Like the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And that's something that like people think all the time. So it just kind of flowed really naturally, I would say. But yeah, it was just an idea floating in my head. Now, how would you describe yourself? Because in the press notes I got about you, it was to sort of announce you as a Toronto alt indie artist. So is that how you view yourself? Like what do you view the music you produce as? I view it as like indie alternative, kind of a little bit of pop all that realm I mean I think too with nowadays like a lot of music does cross over but I would definitely say that I'm I'm an an indie alternative artist for sure who did you look up to growing up as a kid musically (laughs) I started off like being super obsessed with like rock pops like I was a huge Avril Lavigne like I fiend Avril Lavigne I was all about her and pink and now that I've matured my taste has like I love um Amy Winehouse, and I listen to a lot of Bruce Springsteen. Then some more indie bands are like Lanny in the 1975. Um, so I kind of do listen to everything, but I would say Amy Winehouse and Bruce Springsteen are like my huge inspirations in terms of like their their artistry and how they present themselves on stage. I mean, Amy Winehouse, just a lot of her like pure talent, and then Bruce Springsteen, who he is as a person. So those are the people I look up to. Now, talk to us a little bit about Avril, because she is uh, in, on the cusp of, of having like, a, and I hate using the word comeback, because that, you know it's not her fault that she had Lyme disease and was obviously ill for several yeah. years. But have you heard the new song? Do you love it? Yeah, I actually do. And, you know, she has grown so much as a person and like she's been in the industry. And like, I think we kind of forget for so long, like she was around like before I was even really listening to music, like, and she has kept her sound the whole entire time and that's something I really respect about her as well like even her new song and you know it is comeback I think we shouldn't be afraid to say the word like and I think like she has really kept who she is in all of her music now you also mentioned pink and I have to go there because I think anyone on the planet who doesn't <laughs> love pink is stupid um so what is it about her that you you love is it her honesty is it the fact that she can just blow the socks off of everybody like what is it yeah she is I've always loved her the moment, like, I was watching the Grammys put her in the air is kind of a breaking moment for me when I realized I was like, 
holy crap. I mean, she is just unbelievable. She's someone who is so strong and confident, but also so vulnerable at the same time. And she lets everyone kind of know who she is in her story without being afraid of what people think. And that's what makes her such an honest artist. And that is someone who I really want to be. And I, I'm honest in my songs, and I hope that pulls through. But I got a lot of that from Pink. She's so honest. Talk to us now about your start in music. Like, when did you know? Because I know you're not very old yet, but I wanted to know when mm. did you sort of figure out uh, that a career in music was for you? And I know it sounds like your mom's a big supporter of you as well. Yeah, my family is so much. I love my parents, my like number one fans. I mean, and even friends and like my local family and everything. They're all amazing. But starting off, I, I actually wanted to be a guitar player, like Kiss concert when I was nine. And like, I was obsessed with like rock and roll. And I, so I only wanted to be a guitar player. Like, I'm going to be like this, like, headbanging, hair-whipping guitar player. And then I ended up, like, growing up, I started doing guitar lessons, realizing, hey, I could sing some things. And then I ended up starting writing, and I went to this um, camp in Oakville, Guitar Workshop Plus, and I performed for my first time live with a band. I made it with my own friends, and from that moment, I did an Amy Winehouse song, actually, You Know I'm No Good. And I realized from that moment, I just wanted to do music. And I just like felt like I was on at home when I was on the stage. How many instruments do you actually play? Because that I wasn't sure of. So I kind of dabble in like a lot of things. Um, I mainly play guitar, and obviously my main instrument is my voice. But I play guitar. I totally do play uh, some piano, I, and I try to play the bass sometimes. I took a few lessons with a guitar teacher, but I can't actually play the bass well. But I like to dabble in a lot of things. Joining us on the Kelly Alexander Show, by the way, is Toronto alt indie artist Jules. Make sure you follow her on her social media at It's Jules Music and her website, JulesMusic.ca. So you being an indie artist and, and the sort of state of the industry these days, a lot of people, I would say, are happy to be indie artists when in the past, I think a lot of people would have said, oh, my God, I want to sign to a label so they can take care of me and mm -hmm. help get me to the next level. So where are you at? Like, do you have any aspirations to sign to a label or are you happy to be doing it on your own? Honestly, I'm proud to call myself right now an indie alternative artist. And, you know, like, I'm kind of like just on this path and wherever it takes me, it kind of takes me. I never go into anything with an expectation. I want it to happen like naturally. And I don't like forced things. I just don't, I'm not about that. So I'm doing music and I'm get, I get to do career. So what happens kind of happens, but I'm just here with an open mind doing what I love. So that's me. What is coming up? Because I know you have been working on your album. What is it called? And, and when is it going to be released? Or do you not know yet? I mean, um, released the first single. We didn't really know like how to take, but it's uh, taken really well. So I'm kind of letting this like live its moment. And when the time is right, we're probably going to release um, potentially like another single. And we'll see how that goes. And then we'll probably release um, the album. But I'm just going to kind of let it take its course and happens happens but um yeah there definitely will be an end album and um the name of it's people watching explain the title for us <laughs> there's a song on the album and the main main tag and it's people watching when you kind of listen to the album um i don't really talk about things that i haven't experienced so i'm a songwriter and i go through life and i'm constantly people watching and we all do, too. I mean, every one of us kind of will make like a preconceived like, storyline for a person without knowing them. And we all do that. And I think that I do that all the time for music purposes. And that's how I write my music. I people watch and I write. So 
That's how. Do you have any inkling that you might want to head to either Los Angeles or New York, or do you think that you can stay where you are? Because I'll, and I'll and I'll continue this by just saying that in the last while, I would say so many people have said, even Americans, that Toronto is a hot spot. So do you think you have to go? Do you want to go? What's the plan? I love Toronto. I actually, we have a great music scene. I think it's underrated. There's so many and people who are so talented. So yeah, I'm happy to stay in my hometown. I live in Oakville, but I would love to eventually like move into the city and kind of just be in that crowd for like, for at, like to actually live. But yeah, I love Toronto. And uh, I also wanted to ask you, with regards to being an indie artist and getting your music out now through streaming services, has that been a challenge for you? Because I know, well, first of all, you have to view yourself not only as an artist, but as a businesswoman. So um, how much mm-hmm. of you are you actually taking the reins? Uh, you know, are your parents helping you? Like, how's that all rolling out? A great team behind me with managers and um, like um, radio trackers. And they kind of help push the songs as well. So I think like having a behind you with a great team is really important because realistically I'm new into the industry I don't know everything so for me to kind of take the reins on it I just don't think I'd get like the best end results if I were to try to do everything myself and people in that are like their knowledge they know about the industry is really important that way they can kind of share their wisdom with me and what I from them and uh, I did want to ask you what or where do you hope to be in the next 12 months? Like, do you, I know you said you sort of are living life, which I like. I think that's great that you're not trying to like over plan or oversteer the ship, but do you have mm-hmm. certain objectives that you would like to have accomplished within the next 12 months? I honestly want to keep playing. I want to maybe like open up for a, um, a, a bigger band, maybe play a bigger venue. All those things are kind of in my goals, I would say. And like, those are more my short term goals of what I'd like to do. I want to keep writing. I want to keep producing and I just want to keep making more music in the next little bit. Um, yeah, that's my goal. I just want to play. I love playing live. <laughs> I just want to keep playing live. That's cool. And do you have any, I actually wanted to ask you this as well. Do you have any um, favorite Canadian artists right now that are out there that you, you've enjoyed uh, sort of seeing them sort of rise? Because like, for example, I remember it was several years ago or not even maybe three or four at this point, but um, when Rhea May, for example, out of Halifax, like she finally got her song Close Off to get attention. Then, you know, that now she's off to the races. She signed to um, yeah. Sony Music. And then I know Tyler Shaw and like Scott Hellman, like there's like the list goes on. Is there someone that you have enjoyed watching the ride? Yeah, the Arkells for sure. Um, I was going to say Scott Helmet and um, even Alessia Cara. She's from like Brampton. She's close to home, right? I think she's done amazing. All her songs have a really good message to them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's really talented. And definitely, I was Scott Helmet and the Arkells as well, like seeing them kind of just rise. Um, it's great. And I love bands as well. So the Arkells are also one of my favorite bands. So I think that. Being a team, like they're a team, basically, they're family, seeing them kind of grow, it's great. I was at their rally the other, a few months ago, and it was amazing. Perfect. Final question, what do you want people around the world, because our show, actually, we're fortunate, you know, it gets picked up by, by many places around the, uh, the planet, being on iTunes and all that kind of stuff, and some radio stations yeah. overseas. What do you want people to know about Jules? That I'm super real. I don't hide who I am. I'm an open book, and I love to and I love burritos. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Jules, thank you so much for spending time with us on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Kelly. That is uh, alt indie artist uh, Jules from Toronto. Make sure you follow her on her social media at It's Jules Music. And of course, you can check out her website, julesmusic.ca. 
Thank you so much for spending time with us on the program this week. And of course, a big shout out to our guests, Anjali and Jules, not to mention our producer, Adam Brisson, for keeping us all on the rails. Please make sure you follow us on all of our social media by jumping onto kellyalexandershow.com. And of course, we'd love for you to check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash kellyalexandershow. Have an excellent week. You and I'll chat soon.